Welcome to Stories After Midnight. Today we'll be reading a story by Trash Tia called When I Was 13 Years Old. I solved mysteries with my friend. Then I discovered the haunting truth behind my upbringing. It's the second part of a series about the Middle View 4. So if you've seen the previous one, you're on track. Let's get started. Questioning mom about Middleview was a bad idea. For the past few days, I have been losing my mind over my own existence. In my mother's eyes, my mind was wiped clean of the horrific discovery behind my childhood upbringing and the life I thought was mine. Per my last post, I was keeping a low profile, playing along with the lie that my memory had been successfully wiped. Mom works late, so I only had to keep up the facade over breakfast, and it looked like it was working. I couldn't eat or sleep or look at my mother in the eye for longer than several seconds. In class, I couldn't concentrate. All I could think about was the lie I was playing along with. The delusions I had been taking meds for were real. The Middleview 4, a fantasy my therapist and mother had insisted was a trauma response from a head injury as a child, were real. The three kids I thought were characters in my own head, a vicious blend of my favorite cartoons as an imaginative kid, they existed. Not just that, I had found them again, and they were made of strings. As the days progressed, it became harder to keep up the facade that I was oblivious. Mom knows when I'm not feeling well. I don't know if it was mother's intuition or she was just perceptive. When I couldn't bring myself to eat my cereal, her expression seemed to twitch, perfectly painted lips curling into a frown. I made the mistake of not answering one of her obligatory, how were classes yesterday, questions. I'm human. I can't hide my emotions. Especially when they control me more than I control them. So far, I was doing well playing along with the memory wipe, which was exactly what she wanted. I feigned confusion and complained of mind blanks when she casually questioned what I had been doing the night I snuck into her work and discovered my childhood was a glorified stage show. This time I was a lot sloppier in answering, because the truth was that I had been kneeling in the bathroom all day, my head pressed against the cool porcelain of a toilet seat, choking up everything I had eaten. You're quiet today. Mom straightened in her seat to pour me more orange juice. I could sense she was on edge. Mom had not touched her own breakfast, her fingers gripping the pitcher a little too tight. I dazedly watched freshly squeezed orange juice fill my glass to the top, and then overflowing, pooling across the table. The way it moved, seeping across wooden grains, reminded me of the wet congealing mess of red dribbling down my best friend's chin as he was pulled left to right, string to string. Noah Presley did not make sense. He was alive, conscious, and yet his body was no longer human, just a sick joke. A plastic, artificial body made from old flesh. Noah Presley, the first member in the Middleview 4, was nothing but an entanglement of string. I had to swallow warm bile creeping its way up my throat and filling my mouth. I'm fine, Mom. I forced another smile. You're spilling juice everywhere. Mom stopped pouring, her hand jerking when she realized her mistake. She placed the pitcher back on the table. Her smile made me sick to my stomach, a grin that was more of a grimace, full of desperation and almost pity. Mom remembered my reaction. I was in her arms, screaming, sobbing, and I could see the after effects in her inability to sit still, the slight trembling in her hands. 
She was so obsessed with hiding behind a lie and forcing me to drown in an oblivion and obliviousness I didn't want. I needed to forget what I saw to protect her job and whoever the puppeteer of Middleview was, whatever my mother thought she had done to my head and wiped away. I could still see it. I could still see the contorted dancing strings pulling my friends into a frenzied prance. Strings that were slick red. Strings that entangled their arms and legs and expressions. Hooked inside their mouths and prying their eyes open. I thought I could get it out of my head. I thought drinking enough and then drugging myself with sleeping pills would pull me away from the reality of what I saw. But I couldn't escape it. I still saw them. I see them dangling on strings, hollowed out shells carved of everything that they were, horrifying mimics of the middle view four. I could still remember her words in my ear, each one choking on my tongue. I choose you. Forcing a spoonful of cereal into my mouth, I chewed mechanically. I could see them dancing on strings being pulled back and forth, left and right, up and down. Eris's laughing grin. His mouth and lips carved into that of a marionette. May's head bobbing, following the puppeteer, and Noah's vacant eyes penetrating through me, before something seemed to contort, to come alive in his expression. I saw real pain, agony ripping through him, a self-awareness, confusion, pain and anger that was killing him, awakening as a, a plastic puppet bound to strings severed right through him, entangling every part of him. I could see them. Blood red string wrapped around his wrists, elbows, arms, and legs, locked under his jaw and contorting his removable mouth. I remember his eyes frantically following me, silently begging for help. Until he was dragged back, a pained howl escaped his lips. How could Noah Presley scream? I thought dizzily. How could he feel pain and despair, agony, even when he was no longer something I recognized? No longer human. I thought back to his younger self sitting with me in the playground. The two of us, seven years old. Did I miss the boy's strings? I could still remember him. A blur of dark brown curls and mischievous eyes. Was my best friend on strings the whole time, dancing to someone else's tune? May. She was still laughing, her mouth abnormally large. Eris still bobbing up and down, his limbs limp. Taping my head back, I couldn't see a puppeteer only entangled strings hanging in thin air. I remember opening my mouth to try and talk to them, to demand why this was the reality of them. But then my mother's arms were around me, her face pressed into the back of my neck, mumbling an explanation I didn't want to hear. Her presence should have been comforting, because I sure as hell wanted my mom. But was this woman my mom? She had taken me from Middleview at the age of 15 years old, and then filled my head with delusions that my friends were figments of my imagination. They're here, was all that could slip from my mouth, and my mother was responding in a sob. No, sweetie. No, they're not. She was whispering to me in sharp breaths, just like when I was a kid and needed her most, but I could barely understand her. I was watching the people responsible for this stage show on strings, calmly pulling Noah away bleeding from the blinding illumination of the floodlights and into the shadow. These people moved quickly, carrying Eris and May like they were inanimate objects. Well, they were. Their heads were bowed, bodies limp and unmoving, 
wobbling on jerking strings. I was going to expose them to the world. Mom's voice didn't even sound real. A vicious white noise in my ears. The stage crew worked fast and efficiently. They wrapped their hands around Eris's neck, yanking May by her ponytail. They didn't react, their limbs jerking, moving with the strings, and I screamed, a raw scream that burned my throat. I wanted the two of them to tell me they were okay, that they missed me, and they were back, and never going to leave me again. Except I was already seeing all of them, their painful reality. Hollowed out torsos and old flesh and bone that had been stitched and melded together. Eris's smile was tragically permanent, unless his puppeteer wrapped their fingers where his spine had become a stand. Mom tightened her grip on me, but I could barely feel it, her fingernails slicing into the flesh of my shoulders. My head was spinning, and at one point I clawed my way out of my mom's arms, sinking my teeth into her elbow. I got maybe half a step before my knees hit the ground, and mom was back next to me, her heaving, heavy breath in my ear. You are the property of an evil and very powerful little girl who owns this town and everyone in it. My mom spat in my ear. They made me keep my mouth shut, Marin. She calmly shoved me into the back of my car and slammed the door shut. I begged them to save one of you. Just one and I wouldn't talk. I had to cut one of you down. There were lights flashing in my eyes, and my head was hitting the window with a gentle thunk. Mom's voice swam in and out, joining phantom ones threaded in my mind. Something sharp pricked the back of my neck, and I plunged down, 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 into the dark, with her voice still grazing my skull, while my body shut down. I was no longer screaming, my mouth numbed and wrong. I choose you, Mom said, her voice breaking. The car was picking up speed, flying over bumps in the road. Mom was sobbing her palms turning white around the wheel. I had the choice to take any one of you, and all of you were special. All of you were my children, Marin. I wanted to take you away from her. The rest of that memory splintered into fragments of nothing, the drugs doing their job, but now that I had time to go over it, memorize it, try and study it, I could delve further into what I had lost. So sitting with my mother at breakfast, trying not to throw up cereal, the more I prodded on those particular words in my head, replaying them over and over in my... Another memory began to slowly unravel in my mind, previously filled with fog. I was in the back of her car. My mom was driving, her fingers gripped around the wheel. It was pitch dark outside, rain thundering on the window. This time, my hands were wet and warm, slick with something. Strings? They covered my hands, knotted between my fingers, and I couldn't pull them away. They didn't hurt because I don't think they were mine. My cheek was uncomfortably pressed to the cool glass of the window, my eyes flickering, dazedly drinking in the glow of passing streetlights, down the seemingly never-ending stretch of road. I couldn't speak, my lips numb, thoughts scattered from whatever she had forced into my bloodstream. Instead of focusing on the slowly collapsing pinprick of darkness we were driving into, I idly followed a single raindrop, sliding down the pane, spiraling, and joining the others in their graceful dance. My gaze had been glued to the raindrop, entranced in its beauty, when something or someone moved in the passenger seat. I lifted my head as far as my topsy-turvy brain would let me, blinking stars from my eyes. 
There was a hooded figure curled up on the seat, their head resting against the window. I tried to open my mouth to ask my mother who this was, but my eyes were too heavy, coaxed by the drugs seeping through my blood, and I fell back into the dark, lulled by my mom singing me her favorite song. In a town where I was born lived a man who sailed the sea, and he told us of his life in the land of submarines. Sweetie, are you okay? Presently, Mom snapped me out of it. Her humming was still in my mind, rooted into my thoughts, a false sense of security. Lifting my head, my gaze went to my untouched bowl of cereal. I didn't notice I had been mindlessly stirring it into an unappetizing mush. Early morning sunlight filtered through the blinds in the kitchen, and part of me craved the unfamiliar darkness and tranquility of the car ride in my memory. A thought was already brewing in the back of my mind. Who was in the passenger seat? The sunlight was too bright, too sharp, stabbing at my eyes, just like the mysteries I solved as a kid. The splinter of memory was nothing but a jaggered puzzle piece that led nowhere. I felt frustration and anger, but most of all, my brain was itching to understand, to solve this gap inside my mind. There were two questions I still needed answering, on top of the gruesome reality that was Noah, Eris, and May. One, what happened on the night the Middleview 4 entered the string factory? And two, who was the other passenger in my mother's car? I was suffocated with questions, both about my fake life and my real one. I had known this woman my whole life. Was that part of the show? The helplessness and despair that filled me, my brain replaying what my friends really were, the shattered, hollowed-out shells of their former selves, or what led me to dropping my spoon and fixing my mother with a textile fake smile. Who are they? I asked casually, my tone hardening. Ignoring my mom's paling cheeks, I spooned cereal into my large, gaping mouth, mimicking Eris's too-wide puppet grin. Mom's expression twisted, but she still feigned obliviousness. I watched her pour more orange juice, even when my glass was full. Her hands were shaking. You're going to have to be more specific, sweetie, she laughed. Who? Mr. Maine, my middle school principal, I said, gulping down my juice, which was a little too spicy for my liking. I felt like I was interrogating suspects again. At 14 years old, we managed to convince the sheriff to let us talk to perps. Back then, it felt natural with Noah perched on the side of the desk, playing good cop, bad cop. May standing with her arms folded her expression enough to freak out perps, and Eris idly standing next to me recording the whole thing. I felt on top of the world as a kid, with the unwritten responsibility to protect my town. As an adult, interrogating my mother who had just gone ten shades of white, I was terrified. All of that magic was gone, and the people who made the magic were nothing more than plastic dolls. Mr. Stevens, my creepy janitor, I was aware of my voice cracking. Noah Presley, May Lee, Eris Kane. Their names were only reminding me of their fate, and my eyes were filling with tears, my gut twisting. Mom continued to eat her breakfast, and every bite looked painful. Who are they, Mom? I only asked one question. One simple question, and my mother became a different person right in front of me. I was waiting for a response when the world jolted to the left and then to the right. I was frowning at my mother's pursed smile, and then I was sideways, my cheek pressed into the cool marble table, my glass of juice seeping underneath me, 
a wet patch gluing my hair to my cheek. My breakfast was on the floor, and my mother was hissing into her phone, her shadows swimming in and out of my view in my pinprick vision. My mouth moved, but words were difficult. Twisted enigmas on my tongue, it was almost funny. I'd been a junior detective since I was seven years old, and somehow, I'd been fooled by the oldest trick in the book. The orange juice, I thought, my mind slowing. The orange juice tasted a little too orangey. Drugged, of course. Before I knew what was happening, I was in my mother's arms, my head awkwardly hanging down, bile dribbling down my chin. This was a stronger sedative than the car ride. I remember being carried outside and being thrown onto uh, odd-smelling car seats that smelled like leather and rich people. The ride was short. I only remember seeing the towering walls hiding middle view from the world, and an oldish man peeking through the window. Long, winding hallways followed. I was so out of it, still hanging from my mother's arms. I swore we passed a playroom. The door was wide open. I could see colorful letters and sponge blocks on the floor. Then I was lying on my back on an unfamiliar bed, surrounded by white walls. The hospital was my first thought, until my gaze found the lack of a window. Mom loomed over me, a broken smile on her face and swollen eyes. She grabbed my arm, stabbing into my flesh. I tried to move, tried to snatch it back, but I was paralyzed. Don't worry, honey. I'm going to fix you. Her smile was hopeful and I almost trusted it. I noticed her hands were covered entangled in something. String. I can see it coming apart down my arm, like a seam in a dress. The color reminded me of blood, a river of red running down my skin, and my sobbing mother was pulling, pulling, pulling the string until I was unraveling completely, my body and mind falling. I could feel her slicing something cruel and cold into my skin, snipping away the thread, and then moving to my left arm. Mom pressed a kiss to my forehead, and it felt familiar. I'm going to make it all go away, and then we're going to move far away. I heard a door open and close, footsteps thudding towards me and something plastic being strapped over my face. Mom's voice hung around in my mind, dancing almost like my puppet friends. Far away, she sang, far away where she won't find us. If I could describe the last three days, I would liken them to a never-ending acid trip. I guess that's what happens when you're looped up on wacky drugs. Which isn't the first time I've been drugged. Marin! Hell, wake up! The slightly muffled and very slurred voice was enough to jerk me awake. The memory was so clear and yet, reliving it all over again was trippy as hell. Case number 14. We were 14 years old and it was our first mystery I didn't fully remember. All over town, people, teenagers especially, have been found with severe burn marks to their faces and torsos. The photos from the crime scene were gut-churning, five victims and one casualty, and all of them had competed in that year's high school beauty pageant. We were yet to find a suspect, even after grilling every past and present contestant. Eris was convinced it was an elder resident's act of jealousy, while I was keeping an eye on a victim's 14-year-old sister who seemed a little too upset about her big sister's death. And by upset, I mean her fake crying was hard to take seriously. Noah's swell idea to check out the abandoned sawmill for clues backfired in our faces. And when the four of us walked directly into a cloud of sweet-smelling gas, 
That's laughing gas, Noah hissed out, slamming his jacket sleeve over his mouth and nose. Oh my god, it's a trap! Eris stumbled back, coughing. Move back slowly. His flashlight beam illuminated the dark. Look for tripwires. Noah, you moron. Wait, what did I do? Noah twisted around, flashlight in hand. You sent us to our deaths. Eris deadpanned. Oh, and you didn't last week? Noah snapped back, one hand over his mouth. His voice was still in the puberty squeak stage, so every time he yelled, he sounded like Mickey Mouse. Didn't you almost get us eaten by cannibals? Yes, but that doesn't count. It was an out-of-town case. Eris shot the boy a somewhat bemused smile. Also, they weren't cannibals. You saw blood on a spoon and just assumed they were cannibals. You can't justify almost getting us killed by cannibals, Eris. May chuckled from her place on the floor. She was following a set of footprints with her phone light. That was your fault. She's right. I sent him a smirk. Own up to it. The boy's lip curled. Traitor. He mouthed at me. His grin illuminated in my flashlight. When a second hiss of gas sounded, the playful atmosphere dissipated. Noah twisted to me. Keep an eye on the door, Aaron, he ordered. Whatever they're playing with right now isn't strong enough to cause an effect, as long as that door stays open. Got it? We need to get out of here, but slowly. Eris backed away, his frantic eyes searching for the source of the gas. Yeah, but where is it? He stumbled and Noah's expression softened a little. Before any of us could react, the doors were slamming behind us, sealing us in, and fresh air out. Something spiked me. I felt it. A sudden stab in my arm, but when I reached to press the wound, my arms went limp. In the corner of my eye, I caught Noah twisting around, eyes wide, lips moving, mouthing, ow. A loud hiss sounded, and this time, we were trapped. Immediately, I pressed my hands over my mouth, but I was already on my knees. Strong stuff. I think that's what I said, but from the look on Eris's face, I don't think I was speaking English. The boy staggered back using his flashlight to find an escape. Nitrous oxide, he dropped his flashlight, is a sweet-smelling sedative used as general anesthetic. When administered in large doses, such as being blasted in someone's face in an enclosed space, it can, uh, can do something. Eris's voice slurred. May was throwing herself into the door, trying to force it open, and Noah was frantically searching for an exit. What Eris didn't mention, on account of him passing out next to me, along with Noah and then May, was that nitrous oxide made me feel like I was on Saturn. It didn't even feel like sleeping. I was staring blankly at the ceiling, lying on my back, frowning at cracks in the wood, and then there were dancing shadows around me, phantom figures that picked me up. Then I was hovering ten feet in the air, uncomfortably tied to the others, whose wiggling bodies against mine were dangerously close to sending us plunging to our deaths. If I wasn't still high on wacky gas, I would have screamed. We were at a height that could kill us if we were unceremoniously dropped to the ground. Blinking rapidly, it took me several seconds to register my kicking feet beneath me and my wrists painfully pinned behind my back. Another disorienting moment of trying to keep my eyes open. And risking a peek below me. I realized why the others were squirming, twitching in their restraints. The mill was lit up in ghostly light, and directly below us was a giant vat of acid. 
I could tell it was acid because the shadow, who I guessed was our perpetrator's little helper, threw a soccer ball into the bubbling liquid, only for it to disappear under foggy suds, disintegrating. I think I lost the ability to speak after imagining what that stuff did to human flesh. Squeezing my eyes shut, I forced myself to stay calm. Oh. Oh, no. We are so screwed. Noah's voice was muffled. It sounded like he had something over his mouth. Come on, it's like the Powerpuff Girls. What if we get superpowers? May's voice was shaking despite her optimism. I wouldn't mind swimming in it. Oh yeah, sugar and spice and scoliosis. Noah mumbled, struggling. No thanks. Also, why was I the only one gagged? Because you never stopped talking. The boy responded with a cry, kicking his legs violently. Stop wiggling. May was using her body weight to swing us across two metal platforms. I'm trying to save us, idiot. You think swinging us is saving us? Noah spat what I guessed was a strip of duct tape from his mouth. If you keep putting pressure on the rope, we're going to fall. And, and it'll be your fault. Do you want to fall into that? She scoffed. What? No, no, I don't want to fall into a vat of toxic waste. Well, stop moving us. We're fine where we are. We just need to get free. I'm going to make soup out of your bones. A disembodied voice giggled through an overhead speaker. Who, who is that? Noah demanded. Show yourself. He struggled violently. Who are you? Let middle view rot. It responded in a laugh. I could see a camera set up, pointing directly at us. I had no doubt it wasn't streaming. You can't save this town, or the people in it, and your deaths will prove that. Watch, middle view, as your precious junior protectors meet their demise. I'm so damn scared. Harry's unusual whisper snapped me into fruition. Me too, I said, risking another look down. My heart catapulted into my throat. Even if we got free, falling from that height would kill us instantly. The nodding around my wrists meant our kidnapper knew how to expertly tie ropes. They're probably bluffing. No, Eris whispered. I mean, can't you see them? His voice was different, almost an entirely different boy. For a moment, I forgot about the bubbling pool of death beneath us and bled back to reality where a thought grazed the back of my mind. Reality felt different being so high up and yet also free from what I wasn't allowed to look at. I was never allowed to look at what was behind me and in front of me, above me and below me. I opened my mouth, really opened it, pushing out my own words that were for once actually mine. Mine. Not the endless seam of words tumbling from my tongue every day. What? In front of us, I could already see crisscrosses, invisible lines in the sky that I could see if I allowed myself to look, contorting red lines in every direction. The eyes, Eris whispered. His voice felt too real, his tone splintering the delusion wrapped around me. We weren't hanging ten feet from the ground. In fact, we were safely tucked into safety harnesses. The pool of bubbling, toxic waste was an overflowing tub of cold water and suds. I wasn't allowed to look, but when I did, I felt it. I could feel the agonizing tightness in my arms and legs and head, something holding me together, pulling me together and apart. There are so many of them, Eris said. So many eyes and so many faces and lights and cameras following us, but I'm not allowed to look at them. When I look at them, they make me hurt. 
He let out a sob. I want my mom, Marin. She's coming, don't worry, I said when the rope holding us jolted and we began our slow descent. Oh, hell, no, 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 Noah yelped, struggling violently. No, Eris's tone hardened. My real mom. His words severed something inside of me. Can't you see them? His clammy fingers around mine, clawing for an anchor. The lines, Marin. Eris surprised me with a spluttered giggle. The lines holding us together. Noah was yelling, May trying to reason with our kidnapper, the two of them completely blind, oblivious of the lines cruelly slicing and cutting into our reality. Endless crisscrosses that I could see, tipping my head back. I was barely aware of my dangling legs submerged in cold water, when something velvet, something dark, fell in front of us. I idly watched the ripples in the material, moving my mouth which wasn't mine. Whatever was attached to it didn't allow me to scream, didn't allow me to cry. Cut! A male voice shouted, and I realized what was in front of us. Curtain. Behind it, thundering applause, and my body was tugged violently. I could feel the others still bound to me, but they weren't moving, their heads hanging. I held on to the warmth in their hands, still entangled with mine. Great work, everyone! The voices grew louder, and I couldn't move couldn't breathe. My body was stuck, my spine straight, my breaths shuddered. Figures bled through the curtains while one strayed behind. One strayed in front of me, pricking my chin with a perfect manicure and lifting my head up. Mom. In the dimming lights, my half-lidded eyes found my mother's. I opened my mouth to cry out, but I could feel them. Finally, jaggered lines severing through me and tangled around my fingers. My arms, my legs, strings. I was dancing, hanging, and suspended on strings. And it was agony. A tight, pulling agony that incited a raw screech in my throat. Mom, I managed to croak. It hurts. I sensed her fingers cradling my face. I know it does, Marin. Just hold still for me. The sound of cutting filled me with fear. But then my body was relaxing growing limp, and finally, with one final snip, I was tumbling onto my knees. Fully aware of the strings now, I could see them still hanging from me, severed pieces of bloody thread and pooling red seeping down my skin. But I was free. Mom pulled me into her arms, and my head was hanging at an awkward angle, clumsy with no strings. Wait, Harris croaked. You're leaving us? His voice, sharp pants of breath, felt like a whirlwind slamming into me, and I tried to spring out of Mom's arms, but she was already pulling me away. When I twisted my head, Eris was still awake, still suspended on cruel strings cutting through him, severing him apart, but still human, still warm, still breathing. His glassy eyes found mine, jerking lips, twisting in agony. Instead of speaking, his mouth stretched into a horrifying grin. His strings were being pulled, vicious cutting lines slicing all the way through him, making him dance. Please, Mom whispered, her arms protective around me. Let me take Peter. Just two of them. Peter and Marin. I'll take them far away. I won't speak a word about any of this, I promise. One, a man's voice grumbled. We agreed on one. Take her to the last viewing point. But he's... He, he, he's, he's still conscious. Viewing point, the man repeated. Now. No, I fought against my mom's grasp. 
Through half-lidded eyes, I watched Eris's head drop, bouncing on strings. Noah and May were immobile, but he was still conscious, still aware, still in agony. My mouth was full of wriggling insects, suffocating my breath. You can't leave them. Marin, you have to be quiet. Mom hissed into my hair. She'll hear you. No! The last pieces of this memory were foggy, disjointed and wrong. Splintered parts of other memories seeping through the black hole in my head. I remember being dragged away, kicking and screaming. There were bright lights in my eyes, a gentle hymn in my ear. It's hard to differentiate memories, especially the ones that have been long suppressed, the ones that I wasn't allowed to see. I was sitting on a table made of stone, a single light shining down on me. I was entangled in something. Rope? No, it hurt too much to be rope. I could sense it, feel it, wrapping around my being. My own string, string that had already been cut for me, was back, binding me to three other bodies. They were so cold, while I was warm, soaked in wet warmth that dripped down my face. Their backs pressed to mine felt wrong, like cold lumps of flesh. It was pitch dark apart from that single spotlight. I lazily followed the beam, glimpsing trails of scarlet splashed across the table, turning black in the shadow. There was a blade above us, already tinted with new blood. Red, that shined like rubies. Red, that was supposed to be beautiful, and yet stained on those horrific, cutting teeth were them. I already knew what I was for, and what it had done. Why I was wet. Why I would never be clean again. But I was still breathing. Still human. While they were still. Are you leaving us? Ares' phantom voice echoed in my ears when I was retching from my own strings. I jumped off of the table and pulled away his restraints, ripping apart his strings. Except Eris wasn't human anymore. His head hung down, eyes carved out and replaced with more animated ones. Glass ones that would last forever. When my trembling hands found his torso, all of him had been hollowed out. His mouth dropped open. I tried Noah, and then May. When I pulled away their ropes, they fell limp. Their heads tipped back, shook them. They didn't move. But they did move, but only when I touched them. Something was dripping. Stumbling back, I stepped into something wet, something that squelched between my toes. My gaze found the floor in the river of red of gore, seeping across pristine marble. No wonder they took that memory away from me. Why I was found, screaming inconsolable. I can still see it. I can see the slithering red reality of my friends would have been scooped out of them to maintain their roles. In a town where I was born, lived a man who sailed the sea. And he told us of his life in the land of submarines. Back in the present, inside the white room, slowly coming down from the cocktail of drugs forced inside me, someone was singing directly in my face. Sorry, Eris Kane laughed and my body jolted. When I opened my eyes, he was standing over me, surrounded in a halo of white light, still in the same clothes as the diner, though no sign of strings. His freckles looked like they were moving. Eris blew in my face and his breath felt real, cold against my cheeks. This version of him looked older, thick, sandy hair hanging in dark eyes. I, I don't know the rest of the lyrics, but hey, you're awake now. Sitting up, I blinked in the weird heavenly halo. 
It was the drugs playing with my head, but this was the kind of trip I wasn't going to complain about. I could feel a weight next to me. May. Her pigtails were in my face, already making me want to sneeze. The girl's back was turned. She was talking to someone. Her voice a hissed whisper. Noah. His shadow was in the door, reddish-brown hair slicked back. He wasn't smiling, lips set into a thin line. Behind him I could make out flashing. The door was open ajar, the hallway awash with red light. She's awake. Harris's murmur turned my attention back to him. He was awkwardly kneeling on my bed. May twisted around to me, her eyes softening. Before I could speak, she shook her head. We've got maybe two minutes, Noah said, hastily glancing over his shoulder. May nodded. She reached out to grab my hand. I noticed a pair of scissors tucked into her jeans. Do you remember our sixth mystery? I nodded dizzily. Uh, we had to stay quiet to avoid being caught by old lady Carlisle and the missing piano case. May's lips pricked into a smile. Exactly, she said. You need to stay quiet, okay? Just like back then. Eris pressed a finger to his lips. Don't say a word. Mouth shut, weirdo, Noah said, leaning against the door. There was a pair of scissors tucked into his belt. I pretended to zip my lips, still half-conscious hallucinating the middle view four just like how I remembered them, filled me with copious amounts of joy. Mouth shut, I promised. Okay, May's expression hardened. Marin, you need to be brave for me. She reached out and cradled my cheeks, just like my mother. At that moment, May Lee was real. Her wide eyes, lips pressed into a thin line, pigtails loose in her hair, and all of it was real. You need to remember our last case. I could sense her desperation. May twisted to the door, only to get a thumbs up from Noah. She turned back to me, her expression contorting. What did we see when we entered the string factory that night? One minute. Noah's focus was on the outside. May, hurry the hell up. I'm going as fast as I can, she gritted out. Her grip on my shoulders tightened. I, I can't remember, I told her in a breath. Why? Eris, Noah grumbled from the door. Little help? The guy nodded, joining Noah in the doorway, the two of them speaking in low murmurs. Think, May urged me, her eyes wild, searching mine, like she could delve directly inside my head. She squeezed tighter, tight enough for me to feel her biting nails. Go back to that moment. The girl caught herself, exhaling a breath. Please, you need to remember. What did we see? Following May's words, I mentally went back to our last case. Noah and Eris helped throw open the door. It was cold. I could see my breath in front of me. I remembered our four flashlight beams hitting darkness. Before... nothing. Oblivion. And then I was sitting on the sidewalk, covered in string, screaming, just like how I remembered it. When I opened my eyes to tell May that, she was gone. The door to my room was closed, and the three of them had finally faded. My mind finding its footing time passed quickly. Mom visited, wearing her usual smile. She told me everything was going to be okay. I didn't listen to her. Instead, hyper-focused on the noticeable crease on my bed where May had been sitting. Marin? I blinked, turning my attention to my mother. Yes? Mom cleared her throat. I said, this is Dr. Delaney. He's going to help you. I didn't even notice a second presence in the room. It was a guy, a trainee by the look of him. Dressed in blue scrubs, his face hidden behind a mask, 
Time seemed to quicken as soon as the guy was in front of me. I remember feeling the warmth of his fingers on my temples, and the sudden buzzing sensation that I knew them. His touch was gentle but firm, lulling me into half slumber. I was still frowning at the crease in my bedsheets when mom's voice slammed into me, and my head tipped back. Erase her completely. Mom's voice was stern. I could hear her pacing back and forth, the click-clack of her heels jolting my body awake. We've already had to deal with deaths among stage crew, and she already cut one of them down. We just need things to go back to the way they were. Marin has nothing to do with this. And as for the middle view four, just like her last attempt to memory wipe me, this one didn't work either. I came to fruition back home. Orange juice and ice cream carefully laid out in front of me. It was morning. Two days had passed and that same sunlight pierced through the blinds, scratching at my eyes. Mom was sitting across the table, her lips kissing the rim of her glass. How are you this morning, sweetheart? Hey! Noah threw a lucky charm at me across the table. He straightened in his seat. I liked his presence. He made sure to sit as far away from Mom as possible, making faces when she inched near him. I think the overall consensus is that you can't trust this woman. She could be our puppeteer. Also, she's drugged you, like 10,000 times. I doubt she's bad, Eris sat next to him idly playing with his own bowl of cereal. Why would she save Marin? Noah shrugged, flicking a lucky charm in the boy's face. I don't know, man. Does your mom drug you to keep you quiet? Harris rolled his eyes. What makes you think her mom is the mastermind? That? Noah pointed to my mother. Mom was talking on the phone. I didn't understand what he was talking about, until I saw a single string above her. I felt my stomach revolt at the sight. A single string somehow wrapped around my mother's mind. Yes, mom spoke softly. Everything is sorted. Is the situation okay now? I've been informed that we are no longer in code black. She's talking about us, Meg grumbled next to me. How do you know that? Eris raised a brow. Duh, one of us was cut down. They're making sure Marin isn't compromised. Eris inclined his head. Hmm, but what are they talking about? Who knows, May sighed. Whoever is our puppeteer is powerful enough to control the stage crew too. Her lips curled into a grimace. Unlike us though, they're still alive. We need to figure out who did this, Noah announced, his eyes lighting up. It's been eight years and we still haven't solved the string murders. Eris blew a raspberry, leaning his fist on his chin. On account of us being dead, he turned to me. Still though, why talk about us when we're dead? Even if she cut one of us down, they can just string us back up, right? Because we're important, May said. But to who? Noah slapped the table. That is what we gotta figure out, he grinned. I've missed this. Middle view four back at it. I found myself smiling. I've missed this too. Solving the mystery of ourselves, May hummed. Marin. Mom was frowning at me, her phone still in her hand. She inclined her head. What have you missed? Nothing, I said. Have fun at work. Four hours since she left, and I'm pretty sure I'm hallucinating my dead friends. I just need to do one more thing and cut them all down. This is going to kill me. I could be putting myself back on strings, but I'm not leaving them there. I'm terrified of what my mother and her work will do, but I'm not leaving them again. No way. One last mystery to solve. That's the end of this story. I really hope you enjoyed it. 
A huge shout out to Trash Tia for allowing me to read these wonderful stories. And a huge shout out to you for listening. I'd like to also thank my patrons for making this episode possible and just helping me run this channel with their financial generosity. I really do appreciate you. Uh, if you like the story, and I would love it if you'd like it on YouTube, if that's where you're at, maybe give it a subscribe, let YouTube know that this stuff is not hot garbage, and maybe it'll reach other people so they can enjoy these creepy little stories. If you're on the podcast, well, I don't know what your options are, but anyway. And you all can just join my Discord if you'd like. It's a small little group where we just kind of hang out and chat, nothing too crazy. Other than that, I think that is about it, so I hope you enjoyed it. And like I say in every episode now, we'll see you in the next one.